Father God, we just want to say thank you so much for the opportunity to be here today, to worship you, and just to be able to come into your house and sing your praises. And Lord, to even think about the words of the song, about how much you love us, God, that you, you left heaven, you left your home, you left perfection, and came here every one of us can understand that this is an imperfect place with all kinds of hurts and problems and pains and God you came here because you love us so much God you came here to meet us where we are you came here to guide us and show us a better way than what we knew so Jesus I pray that you would speak to us this morning speak to our hearts speak into our lives God help us to to seek your face and to know who you are. And Lord, as we continue to work through this prayer that you've called us to do, or this prayer that we base all of our other prayers on, God, I pray that you would speak and work and move and remind us today how important it is that we seek you in your will and your way in all of our life, in every aspect. Father, we pray for our brothers and sisters who aren't able to be here today. Jesus, we lift them up to you right now. We ask that you would touch them and guide them. And Lord, whether it's physical, whether it's mental, whether it's spiritual, Lord, we pray that you would go to them right now. And Jesus, we know that every single person here, every single person listening, watching, we all need a spiritual touch from you. Lord, we need you to do something in our lives today. So God, we invite your spirit in. Lord, not to dwell in this place, not to be in this building, but God, to be in our hearts. Lord, you said you would bring us out of the world so that you could dwell in us and walk with us. So God, we cling to that passage and we pray that you would work and move in our hearts today. We love you. We thank you so much for the opportunity to be together. And all God's people said, amen. Don't be seated yet. Don't, don't, don't be in a hurry. We're going to read our passage of Scripture together, and now I'll let you guys have a seat. Matthew chapter 6, verses 9 through 13. Should be on the screen in just a second. All right. Um, today is Thy Will Be Done. Let's go to that first passage of Scripture. It's, read this with me. In this manner, therefore pray. Our Father in heaven, hallowed be your name. Your kingdom come, your will be done on earth as it is in heaven. Give us this day our daily bread and forgive us our debts as we forgive our debtors. And do not lead us into temptation, but deliver us from the evil one. For yours is the kingdom and the power and the glory forever. Amen. All right, you may be seated. Thank you. So today, we're focusing on thy will be done. And when we say this, we have to remind ourselves and remember that when we say, thy will be done, it also has this tag on the end of it where it says, on earth as it is in heaven. And this kind of takes us back a couple weeks ago where we were talking about our Father who art in heaven and, and remembering and reminding ourselves that heaven is not a destination. It's not where we're going. It's who we're going to. 
okay? So, so heaven is not a place. You know, as people, it's, it's hard for us to imagine that because we're so physical, we're so tangible, we're so focused on the next place to go or where we want to be or something like that. But it, being with God is not about necessarily being in a place. It's about just going to be with God. That is heaven. That's eternal life. Being in his presence is in, being in the presence, it's being in perfection, okay? So, so when you talk about thy will be done on earth as it is in heaven, you have to remember that in heaven, God's will is executed perfectly. That's important for us to remember because in heaven, that's where God dwells. It's the eternal home. When, when Satan rebelled, he was cast out because God's will is executed perfectly there even though it's not here. And so for us as individuals to understand that during our lifetime, God is speaking to you. He's training you up. He's growing you. He's allowing you to step out on faith. You with me this morning? Stepping out on faith to allow yourself to become more and more righteous, to prepare you to be in the presence of God, which is in heaven. All right? Still together so far? So when you pray... Thy will be done on earth as it is in heaven. We need to understand that in our lives, in this world that we live in, it is against our nature for God's will to be done. You will naturally fight against God's will in your physical flesh. That is what comes natural to us. And so when we pray this prayer, and as Christians for many, many years has been praying this prayer, we probably say it, and we think that we mean this. We, we, we really think that we mean thy will be done on earth as it is in heaven. Like we say it, we pray it, there's nothing within us that we would consciously say, oh no, I'm going to make sure that I'm going to do what I want to do instead of doing what God wants to do. We would never say that, but in reality, there's been a many of people who claim to be followers of Christ who say thy will be done on earth as it is in heaven, and really have no intentions of making sure that actually happens. You follow me today? This is, this is, this is going to be a tough one for us. It's going to be hard, hard to take. And for the main point of today's message is, we could, I could say this and we could go home if you wanted to, is that in order for God's will to be done on earth as it is in heaven, which is what we should be praying and what we should be wanting, the truth is, is that our will has to die in order for God's will to be done. And that's, that's it. And that's scary. It's intimidating that, that you and your will, me and my will, like it has to die in order for God's will to be done on earth as it is in heaven. And as long as we live in a physical world, we're going to be battling in the flesh, with our own selves and with other people who are constantly wanting, by nature, their will to be done. They want to accomplish their goals, live their lives, see their dreams come true, do all the things that we just set our minds to and all the stuff that we want our will to be done. And whenever our will is being fulfilled, God's will is being put to death. You with me today? You can't feed both. You're living in a world, you're, you're living in a physical body where we have to decide which one we're going to feed. You're either going to feed God's will or you're going to feed your will. And you can say, well, well, we can feed them. You don't have enough food to feed them both. 
You either feed one and starve the other. And so you're either feeding your will or you're feeding God's will. And whenever you feed your will, you're starving God's and you're putting it to death. And if you feed God's will, you're starving your will and you're putting it to death, which is extremely intimidating to think about. Even as a person who's older and you've been saved for several years and you have a relationship with Christ, that's intimidating to think that there are things in your life that God may be calling you to put to death, decisions, things, dreams, hopes that God may be saying, you need to put this to death in order for God's will to be done in your life and in this world. That's intimidating. But it's even more intimidating for a young person who's in here who hasn't even really got to start in life yet, and you're saying, okay, God wants me to put my will to death. Well, what does that leave me? Where do I go from here? What am I supposed to do? What am I supposed to accomplish? So point number one, when you're talking about God's will, God's will must be learned. It's got to be learned. You're not going to come out of your mother's womb and have this innate understanding of God's will, right? You're going to come out of your mother's womb and you're going to scream and cry and pitch a fit and poop all over everything. That's what we do as humans. That's what comes natural. And a kid, it's amazing, a kid will be perfectly happy sitting in a dirty diaper being nasty, you have to teach them not to do that. You have to teach a child not to live in filth, right? And it's amazing how a lot of people grow up and they're still okay with it. Like you have to bring people out of that. Our nature, by nature, we are destructive. By nature, we are rebellious. By nature, we are sinful. And so when you look at coming out of your mother's womb, like your nature, your natural tendency is going to be to lean towards your will. Everything about your life is going to be accomplishing your hopes, your dreams. And even if you're a Christian, you're not just going to wake up one day and just have this epiphany of what God's will is. I mean, you you can be a believer in Jesus Christ. You can profess faith. You can proclaim faith. And you're not just going to wake up one day and be like, I know what God's will is now. It has to be learned. And it is something that's going to take your entire lifetime to do. It's not something that you can just do in a moment, that you can do in a certain time or for a certain allotment of time. It's something we have to be devoted to for our entire lives. Hebrews chapter 13, verses 20 through 21, the author is writing the Jewish Christians. And he says, Now may the God of peace, who brought up from the dead our Lord Jesus the great shepherd of the sheep, and ratified an eternal covenant with his blood, may he equip you with all that you need for doing his will. And so when we talk about this one, we talk about God's will, it has to be learned, but you also have to be equipped to do it. It's not going to come natural, and you don't have the ability to live according to God's will. You with me today? So you don't have the ability. You have to be equipped for it. May he produce in you through the power of Jesus Christ every good thing that is pleasing to him. All glory to him forever and ever. Amen. The author of Hebrews is talking about this because he completely understands that there are a large group of people who are claiming to be followers of Jesus Christ, who were saying that they were believers and all this stuff, but they were not living according to God's will, and they were not allowing themselves to be equipped to do God's will. And so allowing ourselves and being humble enough to admit this morning, number one, that 
we don't know God's will. And number two, we aren't able to live according to God's will unless Christ equips us to do so. So when you look at this, for us to sit here this morning and say, God, I need you to teach me how to do this. I need you to equip me to do this. I can't live according to your will. There are people in here today, it's like you believe in Christ, you believe in all this stuff, and yet there is no desire in your life to do the things that God calls you to do. There are people who have claimed to be Christians for years, and they have no desire to read God's word, no desire to sit down and pray, no desire to be around other believers. You with me? You ever wake up on a Sunday morning and just be like, I don't even want to go to church today because I don't want to be around other believers. Because you know if you go to church today, you're going to feel guilty or feel like garbage because something that you did this week. Have you ever had those days? I do. There's been times I get up on Sunday morning and I know I got to preach and teach and do all this stuff. I'm just like, how can I get up here and preach and teach what I'm about to teach knowing what I said on this day this past week? It's a struggle. We can't do it on our own. We need God to equip us and teach us how to do this. In Psalm chapter 25, verses 4 through 5, David's writing one of his many psalms, and he's asking God to teach and show him. Now, this is important because in, in, in verse 4 it says, Show me the right path, O Lord. Point out the road for me to follow. Lead me by your truth and teach me, for you are the God who saves me. All day long I put my hope and trust in you. And guys, you, you, you need to take into perspective who this is. Like This is David, anointed as king as a young man, brought up by God, had the heart, a man after God's own heart. And yet in this moment, he's praising God. He's like, God, he's being humble. Teach me your way. Show me which path to take. Show me your will. So that, Teach me. Help me to do this. He's humble in this moment. He's seeking God. But this is the same man who also committed adultery with Bathsheba, murdered her husband, took the census, did all kinds of stupid stuff. And so we need to take a, learn a lesson from this this morning that in our lives, we need to be humble. We need to ask God to equip us because we have to understand we don't know God's will. We have to be taught God's will. We don't have the ability to live by God's will. We have to be equipped to live by God's will and to see his will be done. And at the same time, it's not like you can just in this one moment in time know God's will and then you're good forever. But it's something that you have to stay in tune with and keep pursuing and live by and seek out God every day of your life. It's not something that you can just attain in one moment in time and then you carry it with you for the rest of your life. This is something that you have to keep submitting yourself to, allowing God to lead you and guide you every single day. You look at David, he says, all day long I put my hope in you. All day long. And for so many Christians, we compartmentalize our lives as being like, well, this is church and this is job and this is life and this is home and this is this. And we like to separate all these things. But in reality, true worship is in all that we do. Your greatest acts of worship will not happen at church. Your greatest acts of worship will happen in the everyday mundane things in your life when you glorify God and represent him in all that you say and do. That's your greatest act of worship. What we do here on Sunday morning is just to recharge to get us ready for Monday through Saturday all over again. And as God told the prophet Isaiah, my ways are higher than your ways and my thoughts are higher than your thoughts, we have to remind ourselves sometimes that we're dealing with a God who is far above and beyond anything that we could think, imagine, or understand. 
And so in one moment in life, think about this, in one moment in life, you can be living according to God's will just like David was. And you can be submitted in that moment. And you can be teachable in that moment. But as time moves on and as situations and circumstances change, we as humans have this sinful desire in our body to pull the sacrifice back off the offer or the altar and keep it for ourselves so that we can see our will be done. And that's why we have to continue to seek and pursue God because if God knows all and is in all and has created all and he's sustaining all and he's bringing all to its purpose and all to its function, why would we not want access to that? If God, if, if God is the God that we say that we believe in, why would we not want access to that? And when you think about the grand scheme of things, not just from a time perspective, okay, like you can just look at it on, on the, line, the timeline of existence. We are such small, finite beings that in order to live according to God's will, like we will never truly understand or comprehend even the slightest of what God's will really is because it spans an eternity before creation and it expands an eternity after creation will come to an end and we spend eternity with God in heaven. It's that much bigger than us, eternally from a time perspective. But also when you think about this, the sheer population of people that exist that God has created and formed in their mother's wombs and to understand that even right now at this moment, you are just one. I'm just one of almost 8 billion people. It's not even fathomable to think about what God is doing and orchestrating, not only in you as an individual or everyone here who's sitting here today or listening in or watching online or or, or people across town at other churches, or people across world in other countries. To think about what God is doing and how he's moving, we cannot even begin to comprehend or understand the vastness of God's will. But it is our responsibility and our calling as individuals to see that his will is done on earth as it is in heaven to the extent upon which God equips us to do. And it will last your entire lifetime. And you have to be in tune with that during your entire lifetime. Because if you ever lose focus for it at any moment, you begin to start starving God's will and you begin to feed your own. And it's really easy to do. Because we live in a world where our wills, our own personal free wills, are exalted above everything else. And today, more and more, especially in our culture, you see that in so many different ways. And we've got to be careful not to let that happen. But to be humble, to allow God to teach us, to allow him to equip us. And because God's will is eternal, it's going to take a great deal of effort and endurance on our parts as individuals to make sure that we're living according to God's will and seeing his will come. Hebrews chapter 10 verse 36 says, Patient endurance is what you need now so that you will continue to do God's will. Then you will receive all that he has promised. And so even understanding that in your life as a follower of Jesus Christ, it's not this one moment thing. It's not this one time of proclamation where you say, I believe in Jesus, and then it's done. And you see passages of scripture that contradict that. Like, like when Jesus says, 
You know, on the day of judgment, there will be people who say, Lord, I prophesied in your name. I, I did miracles in your name. I cast out demons in your name. And Jesus says, depart from me, for I never knew you. And so there are, going, there are people who are going to proclaim the name of Jesus. They're going to say that they belong to Jesus. They're even going to do amazing things in the name of Jesus. And Jesus is going to say, I don't know who you are. You don't belong to me. You did all this stuff, but you did it underneath your will and your desire and your power. And it wasn't what I wanted. And so to even sit here and think today that we can do things, Christian things, we can have stuff and think like, oh, well, this must be the right thing because it seems like the right thing or it sounds good or it goes according to Scripture. It may not necessarily be what God's will is. But the author talks about patient endurance is what you need so that you will continue to do God's will. See, it's very possible for us to do God's will in a moment and not do God's will for the longevity of our lives. It's very, it's very easy for us to do God's will in a season and then neglect it afterwards. And when you look at what the author says, it says, then you will receive all that he has promised. We have to continue to do God's will in order to receive all that he has promised us in eternal life. And guys, let's be honest, life is hard, right? Life's hard. Life throws a lot of curveballs, a lot of sliders, a lot of change-ups. Very suddenly do you get one right down the middle that's easy to deal with. And the truth is, if we're not careful, we can fall astray. We, we can fall prey to things of the world and begin to feed our own wills rather than feeding God's will. Any of you ever learned something in school and then forgot it? How many of you can still like do the math classes and the science classes that you took in high school? I can remember in school, every Friday was spelling tests. Anybody remember spelling tests? Yay, spelling tests. I still can't spell. There was some kind of standardized testing for spelling, and I failed it. Um, I, I remember that. But in school, I made an A um, on all my spelling tests. Like, I always had an A in that class. And I would go in on Friday morning. We had 10 minutes in between our classes. And I can remember, I, I was good enough to memorize those 20 words. We had 20 words every week. You still remember that, because that was just like, Every day for 12 years of school, you had like 20 spelling words you had to remember and do a test at the end of each week. And I would memorize those 20 words, make an A on the test, most of the time made 100, and then 20 minutes later could not tell you what any of those words were. Because we have the ability to remember for a moment for what we need in that moment, in that time, and then the way our minds work, if, if we don't compartmentalize it and make that a priority and keep ourselves up to date on it, it gets stuck in the filing cabinet like two miles back somewhere in your mind and you don't even remember how to do that. I can't spell a lick. I, I, I can't. You, you read, I'm, if it wasn't for Microsoft, spell check, our church letters every week would be a horrible conglomeration of misspelled words and, and bad grammar. But I made an A in class. And there's a lot of people who are Christians and we say that we're Christians, we say that we believe in God, and we know just enough to make an A on the test in that time to fool the teacher to think, oh, well, they know what they're supposed to be doing. They, they can get out of here. But in reality, I can't spell a lick. And as Christians, we have to be super careful not to know and learn what God's will is 
And then five minutes later, when we walk out of church on Sunday morning, just like not do anything about it. Because how easy is it to leave on Sunday morning and go eat lunch or go fix lunch or go do other things that you're supposed to do, take care of the plans. And then a lot of times we just forget about what we talked about, what we said, what, what, what we heard, or things that many times we said, you know, I need to work on that in my life. I'm going to make a change on that. And then by Monday morning, you've already forgot about it and you don't do anything about it. We as people have to be really careful not to learn something and then just forget it because we have that capability. It's very important that we learn God's will and stay with it and continue to follow it over the duration of our life. Point number two, God's will is usually not going to be practical or make sense. Now, it doesn't mean that it won't always, but usually it's not going to be practical or make sense. One of the biggest mistakes that Christians make, and even non-Christians make when it comes to God, is that if it doesn't make sense, they just can't see it. I mean, some of the most brilliant people in the world have the hardest time believing in Christ and believing in Scripture because everything in the Bible sounds so outlandish. But that's the God that we serve. I don't know if you've ever thought about that, but when you read Scriptures, everything in Scriptures points to a God who does things that does not make sense to the rest of the world. Impossible things, impractical things. And he didn't even use people who were qualified or talented enough to do it. He would call like some of the weirdest people to do some of the most amazing things. Most of the people, I mean, Moses' speech impediment, David just failed miserably in so many, in so many ways. There's so many leaders in Scripture. The disciples, you, th- you just look at the disciples and their time with Jesus They were miserable failures constantly throughout that time. But God called them and used them to do very impractical things. But the awesome thing is, is that's what following Christ is all about. It's about having faith that God can do the impractical and the impossible things. It's about believing in him. And when you think about that, faith is the only way that we are counted as righteous, right? Through faith. It's not by what we do. It's not by how talented we are. It's not how much we serve. We are counted righteous only through our faith. And so for God to do the impossible, for God to do the impractical, causes all of us to step out on faith and have to believe and trust. And what God is doing in the midst of that is he's developing our faith. He's developing our righteousness. He's preparing us to come and to be in his presence one day by making us righteous through our faith. And because of that, we can't be people who think practically or can't do things that necessarily make sense, but we have to trust and believe in a God who does things beyond this world, right? I mean, he does things beyond the world. Romans chapter 12, verse 2, Paul's writing to the church in Rome, and he tells them, don't copy the behaviors and customs of this world, but let God transform you into a new person by changing the way that you think, and so for as a, as a follower of Jesus Christ, it's funny how we always associate like faith and spiritual things like, oh, God changed my heart. You know, God, God did a work in here. God did, God did this. And, and, and so much about what we feel. Like we think like spirituality is so much. And, and men have a really hard time with following Christ and going to church and doing all that stuff because most men are not touchy-feely, emotional. And, and so we're super, most men, I'm, 
cry like crazy. I'm a big baby. But like most men don't want to do that. I don't like doing it, but, and neither does anyone else. But it's a, we don't like the emotional. We don't like the heart thing. But when you read what Paul is talking about right here, he's saying you have to let God transform you into a new person by changing the way that you think. And so for you to sit here today and say, okay, what does it mean to follow Jesus Christ? What does it mean to live inside of God's will? God's got to change you up here. See, everything about our lives, we we know from a physical perspective, the visual things that we see, the physical things that we touch, things that we smell, things that we sense, all this stuff that we have our understanding of what reality is. And guys, I don't know if you've ever sit down and thought about it, but Our reality is not true reality. We have a total misunderstanding of God and what true reality is. True reality is being in the presence of God. True reality is living inside of God's will. And the whole world is living outside of God's will, focusing on a a physical world that is temporary and fades away. And they invest their whole lives and their whole being in it. But if you believe in Jesus Christ, really you have to remind yourself, let God change the way you think and say, this world is temporary. This world is fading away. And my job is not as important as what I like to think it is. And money is not as important as what I like to think it is. And many people will tell you, oh no, it's important. Like, yeah, it is. But do you serve a God who can provide it or don't you? Do you serve a God who can meet your needs or do you not? And that's what we have to wrestle with. We have to wrestle with not thinking about practical things the way the world does and thinking about things from a spiritual, eternal perspective the way that God has called us to. And when we let God change the way we think, then it finishes up in verse 2, then you will learn to know God's will for you. Think about that. You let God change the way that you think, then you can learn God's will. If you don't let God change the way you think, you're not going to know God's will because you're always going to be thinking about things from a worldly perspective, from a physical perspective, from a temporary perspective, but God is eternal, God is spiritual, and God is all-powerful. And if we let God change the way we think, then we can truly learn to know what God's will for you is, which is good, pleasing, and perfect, which is something a lot of times that we forget. Because we think, this is what I want to do. God, this is my hopes. This is my dreams. This is what I want. This is what I want to accomplish over here. And it's not that God necessarily doesn't want to see any of those things take place in your life. But God most definitely wants to take you from wherever you are and say, my will for you, my will for this earth, my will for your life, it's perfect. You may not see it now. You may not understand it now. You may not can comprehend it now, but it is perfect. It is good. It is pleasing. And we as believers have to step out on faith and trust in God to know that it is going to be good. It is going to be pleasing. It is going to be perfect. And there's so many times in my life, I look back at different situations and I was broke in this time or I was hurting or I was confused and I didn't understand what was going on. And now I look back... And I'm like, thank you, God, for taking that person out of my life. Thank you, God, for changing that situation or circumstance. Thank you, God, for doing that in that moment in time. That situation in life really stunk, and it was really hard, but I learned more in that situation in life than I have in any other situation since then. 
And in the time we don't know it or understand it, but it's not supposed to make sense to the world. You think about Old Testament. Think about all the Levitical laws that the people of Israel had to follow. Can you imagine what they thought when Moses came down that mountain and had that list, that scroll of laws, uh, of all the things that they were going to have to live by and obey from this point on? And so many things that they were probably just like, this is so stupid, I don't even understand. Why is this even important? Why is this a big deal? And today, because we have so many advances in technology, like they didn't know what microscopic organisms were back then. They had no idea about biology or chemistry or anything of that nature back then to a certain extent. We understand so much more about that stuff now. And so we can look back at things like even some of the foods that God commanded them not to eat and to know that there was parasites living in it and it would make them sick and things like that. And even the whole concept of circumcision and and circumcising them on the eighth day and, and understanding that on that day their blood clotted more on that day than any other day of the rest of their life. And so that wound that you were going to inflict on that young boy, that young baby boy, and you're going to circumcise him on that day, he has the best opportunity to heal on that day than he would any other day of his life. And through like all the studies and the things that we know now, you can look back at Scripture and it makes so much more sense now to us than what it ever would have to them. Does that make sense? There are going to be things in your life that doesn't make any sense right now, but you have to step out on faith and follow God and God's leading on it. And then so that you can look back in time and say, it didn't make sense then, but now it makes perfect sense. And that's what God does. His ways are perfect. His ways are pleasing. His ways are good. But we have to learn what God's will is. And guys, you're going to have to step out on faith in order to live by it. It's not going to be practical. It's not going to make sense. You're going to try to explain this to people in your life that you know and you love. God's going to call you to do certain things. God's going to call you to give up certain things. God's going to call you to step out on faith and you're going to try to explain it to family members. You're going to try to explain it to friends. You're going to try to explain it to people and it's not going to make any sense to them and it doesn't have to. All you have to do is step out on faith and just know that you are doing what God is calling you to do and that's the only thing that you're accountable for. And So when you lay your head down at nighttime and you go to sleep, you sleep like a baby because you're living inside of God's will despite all the craziness going on around you. Because you know that one day when you stand before God, you can stand before him and say, God, I wasn't perfect, but I did the absolute best I could. I lived for you. I lived according to your will. And we have to be careful and make sure that we're learning what God's will is and to know that we're going to have to step out on faith in order to be able to live by that. And it's not just one moment in time. It's over the longevity of your life. You will have to do this. And point number three. Our will must die in order for God's will to be done. You cannot see God's will done on earth as it is in heaven if you don't begin to put yourself and your will to death. I can't do it. You can't do it. Our church can't do it. The body of Christ can't do it. The kingdom cannot see God's will be done until we put our own wills to death in order to see God's will be done. And this is by far the most difficult thing.
And guys, it doesn't necessarily mean that every single one of those things in your life that you want to do, for all you young kids in here, young people, it doesn't necessarily mean that everything in your life, every goal, every dream that you have, it doesn't mean that God wants to squash that and kill it before it ever begins. What it means is, is that we as followers of Jesus Christ have to be ready at any given moment to give up anything that God calls us to. There are going to be some things in your life that God is going to call you to give up. There are going to be some things in your life that God just wants to know whether or not you're willing to give it up. You Think about Abraham, the father of faith. The, the, the one made righteous by his faith was called to leave his home and his land and never got to return. That was something that God called him to give up from the very beginning, to go to a foreign land, to live among a foreign people, to seek a promise that would not be met until over 400 years later. I'm sure that made absolutely no sense to anyone. Why would you do that for a promise that you're not even necessarily going to receive? The only thing that you're going to get is a son. But 400 years from now, your descendants will inherit this land that you're living in now. But you're never going to get to see that dream. That probably didn't make a whole lot of sense to anybody. But he's the father of faith. And we read about him. And we study him. And we use his example to live by today. And then later on, for Abraham, it wasn't just enough that he left his home and that he was going and wherever God led him, that he went. But when he finally got his son, God said, your, your son, your one and only son, take him up on the mountain. It's time for you to give him to me. And so Abraham goes. I bet you that didn't make any sense to anybody. You know, it's like we've always laughed, and I've always talked about this in youth ministry. Can you imagine what it would be like if your dad tied you up, threw you up on top of a pile of wood, like lifted up a knife and was about to stab you and set you on fire? How would you ever be the same with your daddy again after that? I'm sure it did not make sense to Isaac, but I bet you Isaac never forgot it. I bet you Isaac lived the rest of his days remembering my daddy was willing to put me on the altar for God and take my life. That's how much he loved God. That's the example that Isaac got to set. That There was nothing that stood in the way between God and Abraham. And whenever the time came and Abraham was about to take a son, God said, nope, you're good. Now I know. I just wanted to know whether or not you'd be willing to give him up for me. He's yours. You can keep him for a little while longer. There's so many things in our life that God may call us to give up, but there's a lot of things in our life that God just wants to know if you're willing to give it up or not. A lot of it has to do with the attitude of our heart, the humility that we have in our heart. And what I have tend to see in my lifetime, which isn't very long, is that the people who are willing to give up the most usually end up being blessed the most. The people who are typically the ones who like to hang on the most are the ones that God continues to work on and try to soften and bring about things in their life that test them and brings them to the point where he can shape and mold them into the people that he wants them to be. John chapter 6, verses 38 through 40. Jesus is teaching about being the bread of life. He's speaking to his disciples. He's speaking to a group of followers. He just fed 5,000 people. A lot of people have returned because they want to be fed again. They want some more free food. And Jesus is communicating to them in verse 38. He says, For I have come down from heaven to do the will of God who sent me, 
not to do my own will. And this is huge. Because when you think about Jesus and you think about the the theology that we talk about of Jesus being fully God and being fully man and understanding that this is one of those characteristics that even though Jesus came from heaven, from the very beginning, he knew God, he was with God, and through Christ all things were created, that in human flesh Jesus had his will and God had his will. And Jesus is acknowledging this in this moment. He says, I came down from heaven not to do my will, but to do God's will. And if you're sitting here today and you claim to be a believer in Jesus Christ, that means you're supposed to follow the example of Jesus to the T. And that means putting your will to death in order to see the will of God be done. In verse 39, it says, and this is the will of God that I should not lose even one of all those he has given me, but that I should raise them up at that last day. So God's will is that everyone should be saved. And so if you're, if you're just wanting like, okay, if I leave here today and I want to live according to God's will, if I want to be in God's will and live according to God's will, this nice little safety net, which is a pretty big safety net that you can fall into and say, at least in some way I would be living inside of God's will. It is the simple aspect of you living your life to see other people come to the saving knowledge of Jesus Christ. That you be a witness and minister of the gospel, that you tell other people about Jesus, and that your goal is to see other people get saved. And if you do that, you can at least be in the safety net of living inside of God's will in some way. Because Jesus said, I didn't come to do my own will. I come to do the will of God. And the whole time you read about Jesus, everyone's trying to elevate him and make him king. Satan tempts him on the mountain and says, if you fall down and worship me, I'll give you all the kingdoms of the earth. And for that to be tempting, there had to be something inside of Jesus to want what Satan was offering him. So when you look at the will of Christ and what he was wanting, there probably was a humanistic appeal to having power and authority and kingdoms and land and all the stuff that goes with all those things. But he did not come to do his will. He came to do the Father's will. He didn't come to establish a temporary worldly kingdom. He came to establish an eternal heavenly kingdom. For it is my Father's will that all who see his Son and believe in him should have eternal life, and I will raise them up at that last day. That's God's will. In a nutshell, that's God's will. If we live according to that, we're on the right track. Matthew chapter 26, verse 38 through 39. If you've listened to any of our podcasts for our midweek Bible studies, or if you've been on Wednesday nights for the Bible studies, we've been studying this. And it's just another example of Jesus in this moment where he's on, in the Garden of Gethsemane. He's praying. He's about to be crucified uh, within a day's time. And he goes back to the disciples. He, he brings some of the disciples with him. He asks them to watch and pray with him. And then he goes and he prays. He said, I told them, my soul is crushed with grief to the point of death. Stay here and keep watch with me. He went on a little further, bowed with his face to the ground, praying, My Father, if it is possible, let this cup of suffering be taken away from me. Yet I want your will to be done and not mine. So once again, you see Christ, the Savior of the world, who in this moment in flesh is having to battle against his own will in order to see God's will be done. And to look at this moment 
and to understand that as humans, being in the flesh, that we are weak. That he comes back to his disciples over and over and over again. He says, keep watch, pray with me. Keep watch, pray with me. Your spirit's willing. Your spirit's willing. Every single person in this room is going to walk out of here today and everything inside of you is going to be willing to go and do the will of God and to not sin and to live according to the way that he wants you to. Your spirit is willing, but your flesh is weak. And Jesus told the disciples, he said, keep watch and pray with me. Your spirit's willing, but your body's weak. Keep watch and pray with me so that you don't fall into temptation. Living according to God's will is not a moment in time. It's not for a period of time. It is a constant effort on our part to humble ourselves, to pray, to seek his face, to ask him to equip us to do his will, to ask him to teach us his will. Jesus was not excited about what was going to come to him. It was not his will that he go and suffer and die and to experience separation from the Father. That was not his will. But he was willing to do it because it was God's will. In Proverbs 19, verse 21, it says, You can make many plans, but the Lord's purpose will prevail. You know, our culture is not real big on bandwagoners, right? We don't like people who jump ship and just jump on the, the gravy train to go with wherever the new hot team is or the new thing is. We don't like stuff like that. But guys, when you, when you talk about Christ and you talk about God and his will and eternity, that's a bandwagon that we need to be jumping on because it is the only wagon. When all is said and done and heaven and earth pass away and God brings about the new heavens and the new earth and God is, brings eternity into existence and he brings us into his presence, his plan and his will is being fulfilled throughout all of eternity. And everything else is just going to go away. It's the one wagon that we should be trying to jump on. And as a believer, you need to devote your life to knowing your Father's will and making sure that it's being lived out in this earth. Because if you're not careful, you will end up fighting against it before you even know it. It's a temptation that we fall into. That's why we have to keep watch. We've got to pray so that we don't fall into that temptation. Mark chapter 3, verses 33 through 35. Jesus is teaching a crowd of people. He's in a home. And all of a sudden, his mother and his brother show up and they ask for him. They say, send Jesus out. We need to talk to him. And so the people are like, hey, your mom and your brothers and sisters are here. And Jesus replied, who is my mother? Who are my brothers? It's like so weird. Like sometimes it's just it's things he says are so weird. In verse 34, it says, then he looked at those around him and said, look, these are my mother and my brothers. Again, weird. To like look at probably mostly men and some women gathered around saying, these are my mother and my brothers. In verse 35 it says, anyone who does God's will is my brother and sister and mother. And when you think about even identity, your identity as a child of God is wrapped up in the simple fact of whether or not you are living according to God's will. That you're seeing his will be done on earth as it is in heaven. That's your identity. Either you're a child of God or you're not. Either you're a brother or sister or mother of Christ or you're not. And we can claim it and we can proclaim it to the world. 
And we can do all these good deeds and we can do everything. We can show up for church every single Sunday, 52 Sundays a year for 100 years. And we can say our blessing and we can do all the right things. But guys, I'm telling you, if we don't live according to God's will, if we're not seeking him, if we're not seeking his face, humbling ourselves, asking him to teach us, equip us, and show us, and we're stepping out on faith and following him, he's not going to know us. Our identity is wrapped up in whether or not we are doing his will. Last verse. Proverbs 3, verses 5 through 6. I was in high school. I had just gotten saved. <clears throat> and I remember people talking about, oh, what's your favorite Bible verse? I was like, I don't know. I don't even know any Bible verses. Uh, hadn't done a whole lot of reading at that point. Didn't really know a lot about the Bible or Christianity. But I kept hearing people saying, oh, you need a favorite Bible verse. You, you needed something that you're memorizing, something like that. And I'm like, oh, I don't know. And my sister was going to Clemson University at the time, and she lived in an apartment. She lived right beside some of the Clemson baseball players. And so it was kind of neat because I was playing baseball at the time. I loved baseball, and uh, they were pretty close. And anyway, one of them gave my sister a baseball, one of their game balls, and he signed it. And uh, he, he wrote a Bible verse on there. It was Proverbs 3, 5, and 6. Trust in the Lord with all your heart. Do not depend on your own understanding. In all your ways acknowledge him, and he will direct your paths. And I can remember as a kid, as a teenager, I was like, I don't know any Bible verses. I have no idea what I'm doing in my life, no idea what God wants me to do, anything like that. But this seems like a really good Bible verse, so this is going to be my verse. All right, and I like, it's like pick that one, I'm going to steal that one from that dude, that's going to be mine too. And so if you get a card or a note or something from me, most of the time, I, unless the Lord just leads me to sign a different passage of Scripture, most of the time it's got Proverbs 3, 5, and 6 on it. That is something early on as a Christian that I said, okay, if, if I trust in the Lord with all my heart, if I don't lean on to my own, own understanding and I acknowledge him in all my ways, he will show me which path to take, which as a kid sounds great because I had no idea what I was where I was going and what I was going to do. You know, it's like you just kind of lost. You have all, you can, some people have a lot of options, some people don't, but I just remember being a, you know, a teenager and just like really not having an idea, kind of knew what I wanted, but not really having an idea of what God wanted for my life. And so that verse right there is a reminder for us to trust in God, to lean on him, to not depend on our own understanding because, guys, in all honesty, when you think about it, we really don't understand a whole lot. We like to think that we do. We like to think that we're very educated and very smart and very understanding people. But in the grand scheme of eternity, in the grand scheme of time, in the grand scheme of the world, we are just so little in the grand scheme of things, that we would be fools to rely on our own understanding and not rely on God. It's the one who created it all, who is sustaining it all, and who's going to bring it all underneath his control, his plan. Because there's going to be a day where God's will is done on earth as it is in heaven. And that day is going to be judgment. And we as people need to be preparing ourselves for that time. That God brings about, brings us, ushers us into his presence. And for us to sit here today and just remind ourselves, the world is very enticing. If we're not careful, we can be led astray very quickly. The Bible says, seek ye first the kingdom of God and his righteousness, and all these things will be added unto you. There's a promise in scripture that if we seek God first, God will, God will take care of everything else. 
We don't have to take care of ourselves and then worry about God. That's a very worldly way of thinking about it. That doesn't require faith. To take care of yourself and then worry about God, that doesn't require faith. It takes a great amount of faith to seek God first and let God trust in him to take care of everything else that's going on in your life. And I'm challenging you this morning. If your life's a mess, if you're in a situation that's a mess, if you're having a hard time with something in your life that you can't deal with, you can't comprehend right now, if it's a mess... Don't try to understand it. Seek God. Don't try to affect it. Don't try to mess with it. Trust in God. Let him work it out. And today, to remind ourselves that we have to learn God's will, it's not going to be practical, it's not necessarily going to make sense, and that we have to constantly wake up every day as living sacrifices of God to put our wills to death so that God's will can be done on earth as it is in heaven. Let's pray. Father, thank you so much for the opportunity to come here today. God, I pray for every man and woman in this room, for every kid, teenager. Lord, I lift them up to you right now, and I just pray that you would claim them as your own. Father, I pray that they would surrender themselves to you. Lord, they don't have to understand. They don't have to know. It doesn't have to make sense. God, I just pray that they would step out on faith and they would just make a commitment in their heart right now saying, God, I don't understand this. I don't comprehend it. But God, I'm going to give myself to you and I'm going to trust in your word and allow you to take care of everything else. Lord, what a great step of faith. Nothing would make us more righteous. Nothing would make us more presentable to you than humbling ourselves at your feet and allowing you to do the work in us and through us. So God, we pray for that day. We pray that you would come into our hearts and lives, do a great work in us today. Help us to rely on you, to serve you, to trust in you, and God, to help do everything within our abilities to see your will be done on earth as it is in heaven. We love you. We ask this in Jesus' name. Amen. You're dismissed. Thank you.